enable you to sit down. It's Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to read two or three verses from this chapter. Beginning, let's see if I can find what the verse is here. Beginning in verse 9, Genesis 41, beginning in verse 9. Then spake the chief butler, that's the cupbearer, unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in ward, put me in prison, in the captain of the guard's house, that was Potiphar, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream, and one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us there a young man in Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him, that is the baker, he hanged. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before we begin, I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, verse 21. The Pharaoh restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. That's the cup bearer. And he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, just like he did before. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot it. Now the title of today's study is The Forgetful Cup Bearer. If you've been with us through most of these studies about Joseph, you certainly are familiar with the story by now. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham to whom all the promises of God were made. And this Joseph is a wonderful and remarkable person. He has lived a charmed life, not a life of ease by any means, but he has escaped death on several occasions. His life has been a series of ups and downs. He was loved by his father, but he was hated by his brothers. When he became the slave of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, Potiphar 
put him in prison because of some accusations made by his wife. And yet, when he was in prison, the same Potiphar made Joseph the captain of the prisoners. He put the prisoners under Joseph. Joseph was in charge of the prisoners. And one of those prisoners, as we know, was the cupbearer called in the King James Version the chief butler. And Joseph made a request of him. After he told them the interpretation of the dreams, this is found in the, the 40th chapter, in the 14th verse, Joseph said, Remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison house. That's chapter 40 and verse 14. Did the cupbearer remember Joseph? We've just read that he forgot him altogether. Now the question and the burden of today's study is why was that? I believe that we are living in a generation of ungrateful and unthankful people. I want to make these points to you this morning, and I get right into the study. Why is it that this cupbearer forgot Joseph? Well, number one, we are prone to forget our blessings. We are prone to forget our blessings. One would think that the cupbearer would never forget such a kindness and that once he was restored, he would look for every opportunity to get a word to the Pharaoh about this wonderful man, Joseph, who had befriended him in prison. But as is too often the case among human beings, he didn't mention Joseph to anyone at all. In fact, as we just read, he completely forgot all about him. Now, some of you may have had a similar experience. Maybe you weren't in jail, but have you ever gone out of your way for someone only to have them completely forget you and what you did for them? They never called you to thank you. They never sent you a thank you card or a brief note. They maybe gave you a gift card or took you out to lunch or dinner. They seem to have forgotten all about it. Why? Because we are prone to forget our blessings. Why are we prone to forget our blessings? Well, this is the second point. Unthankfulness betrays a spirit of ingratitude. Those who are not grateful are unthankful. I remember a time not long ago when men and women and boys and girls were thankful and they would not fail to express their thankfulness in some way. But as the world rolls along, it seems that we're more and more becoming more and more unthankful. We're unthankful to one another and we're unthankful to the Lord. In fact, I think that one is the effect the cause of the other. The more unthankful and ungrateful we are to God, the more unthankful and ungrateful we are to one another and for one another. 
we are less and less mindful of the Lord, and if we are less and less mindful of the Lord, we will tend to be less and less mindful of one another. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord, that word fear is the word reverence or respect, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But if we have little respect or no respect and reverence for the Lord, how can we have respect for one another? Now, what do you think is behind this international spirit of disrespect? It's throughout the world. No respect for the law, no respect for the human body, no respect for the unborn, no respect for the authority of local or federal magistrates. Children no longer have respect for their parents, their teachers, their law enforcement officers. We call them policemen and policewomen. What's behind all of this? Well, my friends, it's because there is no respect for God. The vast majority of the United States citizens have no fear of God before their eyes. They love this little Jesus that'll do things for you. They love this little God that we sing about for 30 or 40 minutes. We sing songs about him, but they don't know the God they're singing about because they're in churches that don't teach them anything about the God that they're singing about. People want to be entertained. We don't have but one celebrity in the kingdom of God, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody else is a sinner from the Pope right on down. No respect for God is the reason we, see in, we are seeing no respect for anything or anyone else. Let me show you again what I've shown you many times. Turn to Romans chapter 3, hundreds of times in fact, but one more time won't hurt us. Romans chapter 3. You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that uh, Gentiles are sinners. In Romans chapter 2, he says the Jews are sinners. And then in Romans chapter 3, he says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if you will notice in Romans chapter 3, if you go down to verse, let's see. Go down to verse 18. Romans 3, verse 18. It should say something like, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that is the last verse in a section that begins in verse 9. Verse 9. Remember now, Romans 1, Gentiles are sinners. Romans 2, Jews are sinners. Romans 3, everybody's a sinner. So look at verse 9, Romans 3 and verse 9. What then are we, now the guy writing is a Jew, that's Paul the Apostle, are we Jews better than they, the Gentiles? No, in no wise, we've before proved they're all Jews and Gentiles, they're all sinners, they're all under sin. What do you mean by that, Paul? That's become a bad word today, too, sin. 
and sinner. Sin and sinner, that's a bad word. We don't mention that anymore. We start to talk about making mistakes, falling short, but we don't say men are sinners. We don't talk about that. Well, the Bible talks about it, and he says this is what it is to be a sinner. First of all, none righteous, no, not one, verse 10. No one is right with God. No one is born in this world right with God. A woman said to her a pastor, he said, uh, are you a Christian? Well, she said, I've been a Christian all my life. He said, well, that's just a little bit too long. That's a little bit too long. Nobody is a Christian all of their life. If you've never had a time when you found yourself to be a sinner, a lost sinner without any righteousness that would recommend you to God, you are lost. You aren't born a Christian. You aren't born a child of God. This is a stumbling block for many of the Jewish people. They think that because they're related to Abraham, that makes them children of God. What does it mean to be a sinner? Well, he says in verse 11, there's none that understandeth. Sinners don't understand. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand where they are. They don't understand why they are. They don't understand who God is. They don't understand what kind of God is presented in Scripture. By the way, unless the Lord changes my mind, I'm going to speak to you next week on the subject, my God wouldn't do that. That'll be my subject next week. My God wouldn't do that. So he says there's none righteous. And then he says there's nobody that understands and as a result of that, because they don't understand, he says, there's nobody that seeks God. There was a time in this country when men called on the Lord to be saved. There was a time when men said, I'm seeking the Lord. Would you pray for me, brother? Would you pray for me, sister? We sing a song all the time. Sisters, will you join us in prayer? Moses' sister aided him. We don't see any of that anymore. All you do now is you raise your hand if you want Jesus. You sign a card if you want Jesus. You walk an aisle if you want Jesus. You join the church if you want Jesus. You're baptized if you want Jesus. Meanwhile, nobody knows what it is to be lost because they haven't experienced it. They haven't found out that they're sinners. He says, well, you're a sinner. You, you have no righteousness, and the fruit of that is... You don't understand, and the fruit of that is you don't seek after God. But you are doing something. What are you doing? You're going your own way. Verse 12, they've all gone out of the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, We all, we like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. That's what it says here. The person that's a sinner is not interested in but one way, and that's his or her own way. They're going out of the way. You turn on your TV today, and you hear, if you have, see if you can find somebody that exegetes the Scripture. Just reads the Bible and tells you a little bit about what it means. You can't find that today. It's all about feeling good. It's all about living your best life for Jesus. It's all about how you can live above the clouds and how you. I don't know whether you're supposed to get higher or whether you're supposed to get lower. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. 
The Bible says that by nature men do not seek God. And he says in that present state of being sinners, lost sinners, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm a saved sinner. I hope you are. But in this state of being lost sinners under sin, no understanding, no seeking after God, verse 12, all gone out of the way, and look at this, in that state they are not profitable to God. They're altogether become unprofitable. God can't use you, won't use you in that state. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that doesn't mean you can't help a little old lady across the street. It doesn't mean that you don't have relative goodness. You know, you, well, I was uh, one time, somebody told my mother when I was a little boy about something I had done that was quite bad. You know what my mother said? I don't understand that because Bill was a Cub Scout. He was a Cub Scout. Now, I have to say this about my own mother. If that's the only understanding she had about sin, she didn't know anything about it. Let me tell you something. You moms and dads, you got boys and girls that are sinners. And listen to me now. They're going as fast as they can out into eternity. They're going out to meet God just as fast as they can. What are you saying to them about the Lord Jesus Christ? Now today, the children tell their parents what they're going to do. The parents say, well, I don't want to disturb them. They were born disturbed. I don't run them off. They're already gone. How many times do you watch the news in the newspaper and mothers standing there with tears running down their faces saying, I just don't understand it. You know why? They didn't know anything about what the kids were doing. They let them get on the internet, they let them get on these computers, they let them do all these things, they're not there to watch them, they're not there to govern them, and they're shocked when their children show them that they're, dep- they're total depraved, just like the rest of us. The Bible says men are totally depraved. Then he says, when he says there's none to do with good, it means not in God's sight. Then it says their throat's like an open sepulcher, an open grave. It says, with their tongues, they use it for deceit. They lie, they slander, they backbite, they gossip. Then he says, the poison of asp, that's a poisonous snake, is under their lips. He's comparing the mouth and the tongue to a venomous snake. Maybe you've never murdered a person, but you could have murdered their reputation. You could have murdered them by your speech. He says their mouth is full of cursing, verse 14, cursing and bitterness. I've never heard so much cursing and so much bitterness as I hear today on television. I remember when everybody almost fainted when Clark Gable and Gone with the Wind said, damn. Almost fainted. They just, they just, it was an uproar. And now four-letter words and everything else are freely used. I wouldn't let my child go to a movie today if you gave me money to let him go. I wouldn't do it. They're getting all the movies they need on the internet. You better watch that. It says their feet are swift to shed blood. They can't get their hands on God, verse 15, and so they're mad with everybody else. They become murderers. Destruction and misery in their ways, verse 16. They are miserable. 
And they are destructive. Look at all the things that have happened in these, this country in the last two or three years. Burning down cities, calling for the defunding of police. Have you ever heard such a ridiculous thing in your life? You know what that means? That means we can govern ourselves. We don't need policemen out here. Well, I'm afraid you do need them. Did you know that the Bible says that it was God who established police forces and governments to govern people? Read the Bible. And then it says, on the way of peace, verse 17, they have not known. They have no peace in themselves, and they're not going to give anybody else any peace. And what's the cause of all of this? It is, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 18. The whole foundation is this right here. If a man doesn't fear God, if he doesn't have any respect for God, why should he have any respect for anybody else? You will note that this is the final remark of this section regarding the sin of man that began in verse 9. The theme here is the fallen nature of man. And the writer, who is the Apostle Paul, he contends that all humans by nature are totally depraved. Now, total depravity doesn't mean that you are as bad as you could be it means that every part of your being, your total being, your body, your soul, your spirit, all are contaminated, infiltrated, and bent. The word depraved comes from a Latin word that means to bend, to make crooked. They're bent, they're cooked away from God and toward themselves. And he contends that the only thing that keeps fallen, depraved nature the, the fall and depraved nature of man in check, keeps it in check, is the enforced authority of the law. Look at this. Verse 19. We know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. We may interpret that not only in a spiritual context of preaching the gospel, but we may interpret that in a literal context, where there is no law, there is no authority. And where the law is not enforced, it might as well not be enforced. And that's what's happening today. Millions of people today are calling for the killing of the unborn. These young women holding up these signs, they're going to bring judgment on themselves. It's already on them. Their blindness is an evidence of the judgment. The millions are calling for the unborn, but the same crowd calling for mercy for murderers. Somebody that's killed 15 people, well, we don't want to execute them. The Scripture says they should be executed. Why? Number one, so that justice will be done. Number two, so that perhaps if they're facing death, maybe God will grant them repentance. Maybe they'll call on the Lord. Maybe they'll call on the Lord Jesus Christ. They might still have to be executed, but they'll die saved. But you know what? People figure out pretty quick if there are no consequences. If there are no consequences, I can do this and do it and do it and do it, and the worst I'll get, it will be a prison cell, three meals a day, television, and a weight room. That's all we have now in prison. 
Yeah, let's, let's, let's take care of these unborns. 60 million of them. 60 million plus babies have been aborted in the United States alone. But we don't want capital punishment for murderers. My friends, that is utter confusion that is demonic. Utter confusing and that is demonic. And you'll notice again, verse 18, the foundation for all this madness is found in that verse. There's no respect, no reverence, no fear for God. I probably am not going to be able to finish this message today, but I'm going to finish what I can. But I'm going to read you something. How many of you remember a brother that worshipped with us several years ago named Jim Dale? How many of you remember Jim Dale? Okay. Jim Dale was a man who was a, uh, he would have these uh, talks, these enthusiastic talks, and he would make you feel like you could do the impossible. That's what he did. That was what he did in his life. And Jim passed away, but years ago, and it's been at least 10 years ago, if not more, Jim Dale gave this to me. He was called upon to substitute all the time for the Nashville schools. I'm sure you've heard the uproar recently about Hillsdale College up in Michigan because they had a microphone on and he said something about the schools and the teachers. Most of it is true. But here's what Jim Dale said. I'll see if I can read some of it to you. And this has been 10 or 12, 14 years ago. He said, Bill, they showed on Channel 5 the other night the shocking news for Nashville citizens. They mentioned that 450 pregnant teens were in the metro system, 12 years old and up. They mentioned that one of the young girls in Knox County is 10 years old. In Shelby County, which is in Memphis, they had over 1,000 pregnant girls in the city schools. That's 12, 14 years ago. Thelma Harper, a government representative in Tennessee, said, with these figures, we had better start listening. Doesn't look like we did. One of the girls said that she and others were trying to get pregnant because they wanted to love, they wanted someone to love them back. I sincerely believe, writes Jim, that the above figures are way too low. I had one ninth grade class, 15-year-olds, where one girl who was expecting in about six weeks and another bragged that she was pregnant too, but she wasn't showing. I asked the rest of the ladies in the classroom, how many of you have already had children? And eight of the ten said they had already had children, 15 years old. And one of the 15 years old said that she had had three children. That's this 12, 14 years ago now. One school, I counted the number of students. I had six periods throughout the day, six classes, and I counted 120 in those classes. Of the 120, 118 of them 
said that they had guardians instead of parents. And one of them, uh, and these statistics, I'm sorry, these statistics were the norm for the rest of the schools that I have taught. I have had approximately 1,600 students in the past year and a half at many of the schools that I've taught K through 12th grade, and very few show respect for authority for me, their teacher, or their principal. What's the bottom line problem here? No fear of God, no respect for God. Now listen to this now. I've noted so far in the metro school system for all the grades, number one, no respect for authority. Number two, the men do not know how to treat the ladies. Why don't they know how to treat the ladies? Because their parents didn't teach them how to treat the ladies. That's why. You see, the parents today want the churches to entertain their kids on the way to eternity, and they want the churches to do everything for their children that they're supposed to be doing. Number three, ladies do not insist on getting respect from the males. No, those ladies, those young ladies, because they don't feel their love, they want to be accepted, and so they get involved. And that's how they get in trouble. Number four, lack of basic skills in reading, writing, and math. Number five, cavalier attitude about school, life, and themselves. Number six, no goals for the future. Number seven, no pride in the class or the school. Number eight, lack of character. They are empty, he said. Number nine, vulgar-minded and vulgar-mouthed, boys and girls. Number ten, no respect for the Lord or the American flag. Number 11, mostly no no plans from the teachers that I sub for. Most of them have given up long ago. Number 12, the principals of the schools, and this is what they got on to Hillsdale about, the principals of the schools do not want any negative reports, only good ones. Each time I send an impossible student to the office with a referral Once I'm just following the guidelines, I am not allowed to come back to that school. They only want good reports. At one elementary school last year, listen to this now, and I'll I'll quit. (laughs) At one elementary school last year, I was subbing for the librarian. For five days, I was to sit with K through and first graders, kindergarten and first graders, I was to set them down on the carpet and read a book chosen by me from the library. I chose Noah and the Ark. After reading this book to three classes, the assistant librarian told me to get another book because that one had the words Lord and God in it. And several complaints had already been registered, my, my, reading about Noah and the Ark. They didn't know that the book was in their library, and they got rid of it. The, quote, moment of silence in the school instead of prayer is a joke, as well as a pledge to the flag. Most people do not even stand up, and many schools do not even have the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. That's 12, maybe 15 years ago. 
This is 2022. Think it's gotten any better? Listen, listen to me now. Unless preachers start exegeting Scripture and preaching Scripture, unless we start praying and asking God to send His Spirit and to convert people and to cause people to come to Christ and to call on the Lord, this nation is done for. The days are marked. We're already under judgment. We're under judgment now. But it's not bearing all of its fruits yet. I would like for you to turn to 1 Timothy 3, please, in the New Testament. 1 Timothy, I could just read this myself, but I want you to see where it is. 1 Timothy, toward the end of your New Testament, all the books that begin with a T are grouped together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. I'm talking to you now about unthankfulness. Why did that guy... Forget Joseph. He was unthankful and he was ungrateful. And that's what we've got now. We've got a whole generation of unthankful and ungrateful people. Unthankful for the blessings God has blessed us with. Ungrateful. Now the Bible predicts that increasing unthankfulness and ingratitude will mark the last days of earth. For example, I'm going to read an English version translation because I researched every single word in this verse and I've got what I think is the best translation. But here's what it says, beginning in verse 1. Let's see. I said 1 Timothy, it's 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, pardon me. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version, then I'm going to read what I think is the corrected translation. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Well, I'll translate it as we go. This word that's translated perilous here means troublesome, dangerous, harsh, and savage. Troublesome, dangerous, harsh, and savage times will come. For men, this is generic, as people, men and women, human beings, will be selfish, greedy, boastful, conceited, lovers of themselves, covetous, that is, wanting and taking what is not theirs from others, Boastful, proud, blasphemers, that's irreligious, hating anything that's got to do with religion that demands anything. Unkind, merciless, slanderers, disobedient to their parents, and here it is, unthankful. Unthankful. Unholy, violent, and fierce despisers of those who are good. You need to mark those verses and learn them because that is the newspaper headlines for the United States. And that's what's going to happen 
It's happening now, and it's going to continue to happen, and it's going to get worse as the days go, unless the Lord sends an awakening. The people of God hold the future of the United States in their hands. If the Lord doesn't move us to cry to the Lord, and he hears us, we're doomed. You know what? I can get a ban. I can advertise. You wouldn't believe the stuff I get in the mail. Inviting me to come and participate in some big grand thing. And then we're, we're going to have uh, this person and that person. We're going to have him and there. We're going to have uh, this woman. And we're going to have these teachers. And we're going to have all this stuff. And all it costs you. You know where it's going to be held? In Branson, Missouri. They're holding it in Branson, so when you have a break, you can go everywhere else you want. <laughs> That's where all the entertainment is, isn't it, in Branson? And they offered you a tremendous deal, something like a few hundred dollars a day is all, to go and hear these people tell you what God supposedly says. When you commercialize Jesus Christ and the God of the Bible, you are gone. That's where we are today. When they start giving out awards, Dove Awards, for pe- groups that sing gospel music, so-called, I knew then this is a gone situation. Gone. When you sell books, and you sell CDs, and you sell everything else for something you say God gave you, it's gone. And that's where we are today. Most of these preachers and teachers on television, and there are a few good ones. I listen to them sometimes. But most of them have to get off television and just pass to their local church, which is what they ought to be doing. (laughs) If they didn't make all these offers and get all these people to send in millions of dollars. See, the scriptures teach that the local assembly is where it's at. We're, we're on the internet. We were on television for 20 years. But when I was on television for 20 years, the, they would count me down and I would come on and say, today I have a message to you from the Word of God, verse so and so and so and so, and I'd teach it and I'd invite them to come out to church. And if you want to have a copy of this message, write us and we'll send it to you. That's all. You didn't charge for it. How can I charge for something that the Lord gave me? I tell you, there's going to be a lot of answering to do one of these days. You see, unthankfulness betrays a spirit of ingratitude. And this unthankful, this unthankful spirit and this spirit of, of ungratefulness is going to be increasing according to that 2 Timothy 3 passage until it's going to be the dominant characteristic of most the majority of the people of this world, of all of them that aren't saved. The human race is ungrateful and unthankful. And the cupbearer for Joseph was ungrateful for the kindness shown to him by Joseph. And because he was unthankful, once he was out of the predicament that he was in, once he was out of prison, then he never gave Joseph another thought. And we have an entire generation today of unthankful cupbearers. That's what we have. The Lord has delivered them. They cry to God when they get in trouble. 
And then sometimes in mercy, he delivers them, and then they forget all about it. Let me ask you a question. See if we know anything about prayer. <laughs> I don't know very much about prayer. If all we're doing when we're praying is, Lord, bless this, bless that, bless that, give me this, Lord, open up this door for me, Lord, shut it down. We don't know anything about prayer. Let me ask you a question. Was the Lord Jesus Christ a sinner? Did he need anything? What in the world did he pray about? They said he got up before dawn and prayed. What was he praying about? Give you a hint. He's just spending time with the Father. Just spending a little time with the Father. Just being caught up with the Father, praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all you are. Thank you for life. Thank you for all the blessings you've blessed me with. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for all these things. Why don't we just learn how to praise the Lord a little bit instead of the first thing we say is, Lord, I need something here. I've got to make a petition. There's more to prayer than just making petitions. But we don't know anything about it. I tell you what, I could get a big group, as I started to say a while ago, get some of these big groups of these big preachers and push it for about a month and we couldn't, we couldn't put, we'd have chairs going down the hall, we'd have to put uh, cameras over there in the fellowship hall. Then you turn around the next week and say, we're going to have a prayer meeting out here, we're going to spend one hour in prayer. You couldn't get a, you couldn't get a handful of people. You couldn't get a handful. And you know I'm telling you the truth. Now, we want to go to church today and feel good, and then we want the preacher, the teacher, whoever's there to spiritualize us, and that's all we want. Don't give me any more advice. Don't get involved in my life. Don't tell me anything. I don't want to know anything. I gave you your $15 back there in the offering plate, and that's it. My friends, here's the third reason, and I'll quit here if I can get through with this third reason. The third reason that we have so much ungratefulness uh, or the third reason we shouldn't have a spirit of ungratefulness and we should not have a spirit of unthankfulness. If you'll turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, I'll show you real quick. Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what I've said so far is that we are by nature prone to forget our blessings I've said, secondly, unthankfulness betrays a spirit of ingratitude. And then in the third place, I'm going to say we shouldn't have this attitude because our Lord tells us to imitate Him regarding gratefulness and thankfulness, regarding gratitude and thankfulness. We should imitate our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Verse 31, as you would have men do to you, do also to them. Would you like to have people pray for you, be thankful for you, be grateful to you, love you, then you need to do that to them. For if, verse 32, if you love them, whence love you, 
what thanks do you deserve? King James Version says, what thank have ye? What thankfulness? Why should somebody be thankful for you? Be grateful to you if you love those that love you. For sinners love those that love them. And I looked up this word here, sinners, and it means the worst kind of sinner. <laughs> the worst kind of sinner. Hamartalos. The worst kind of sinner. Those who are devoted to sin, still, they know how to get something from other people. They give things to them that they know will give something back to them. If you, verse 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks do you deserve? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect to get something back, what thanks do you deserve? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back what they lend. And then he tells them, he tells his disciples, and he's speaking to us, by the way, we're not apostles Apostello, apostle, means one that's handpicked by Jesus himself. But we are disciples. We are learners. We are those who are following him and learning about him and learning from him. So we're disciples. So he speaks this word to us as well. Verse 35, love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil and wicked. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Oh, I'm so glad that the Lord was kind to me when I wasn't kind to him. When I wasn't looking for him, he was looking for me. When I wasn't calling on him, he was calling me. When I didn't seek the Lord, he was seeking me. My friends, the Lord Jesus says we ought to be like him. After all, he was merciful to us when we were unthankful. He was good to us when we were actively and willingly walking in the flesh. When we were self-willed, we were hell-bent to do our thing and to have our way. We ought to be like him. I watched a little bit of the Little League World Series yesterday. Just a little bit. I filmed it, really, because I didn't have time to watch it. I'm going to try to watch it this afternoon, this evening, see who won, at least in that game. I don't know if that's the final. But they have these young boys come up, you know, that I think is highest age is 12. Yesterday, an Asian group was playing a Dominican group. They were good. I think it ended up being one to nothing. I saw the end of that game. The one that I taped with two other teams. But at the beginning, they are really making these young boys feel that they are something, superstars. So they have each boy come up individually, and he says something about, uh, you know, who he greatly admires and who's somebody he really looks up to. And I noticed that not one of them mentioned Jesus Christ. They mentioned movie stars. They mentioned athletes. 
They mentioned everybody and everything, but none of them said, I'm thankful to God for the opportunity to play baseball. I'm thankful to God for the athleticism he's given me. I'm thankful to God for my parents. I'm thankful. No! We are looking to all of these people who are reprobates, and our children want to be like them. That's why they dress like they do. That's why they cut their hair like they do. That's why they do that, because that's who they're looking to. They're not looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples to be thankful. He taught them to be kind to the unthankful. So don't be like, I don't want to be like the forgetful cupbearer. I want to strive to be like my Savior. And not only will this prove a great blessing to us if we do this, but we won't be able, you know, people... This cupbearer, he used Joseph, that's what he did. After, after he told Joseph his dream and he got out, he used him. But I got news for you, can't use the Lord. Can't use them. We shouldn't even try to use him. We need to learn who he is. We need to look to him. We need to call on him. We need to confess our sins to him. Lord, I have messed up big time. I mean, the Bible tells us that if we say we're not sinners... If we say we haven't sinned since we've come to know him, which says we're deceived, (laughs) that we're blind. I'm still a sinner. I need as much grace today as I did the day I was saved. In fact, I feel that I need more grace today because I have a better insight into what I am than I did then. I thought I was a sinner, but I tell you what, boy, today I know I'm one. I hope I've been taught by the Lord. Well, this will prove to be a great blessing to you if you'll try to say, Lord, I want to be conformed to the image of my Savior. I want to be like him. I don't want to be like that forgetful cupbearer. So we see our Lord would have us imitate him regarding gratitude and thankfulness. All right, may the Lord add his blessings to his word. I'll give you the other points next week.